Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Patrick Womack. I'm the associate pastor here at Bay Presbyterian Church. On behalf of the church and its leadership, I want to welcome you today to this memorial service as we honor David Bowers. Before I go any further, however, just a quick question. If you did not get a bulletin, I guess it's not a question. I'm asking you something. If uh, you did not get a bulletin, please let me know. just want to make sure everyone has one. We will be singing off of sheets that are in those, so I just wanted to ask and make sure. In welcoming you, I just want to thank you on behalf of the family, really, for your presence here this afternoon. I know it's a wonderful comfort to them and an encouragement to them that you've taken time out of the day to be here. And undoubtedly, many of you have done other things besides just show up here. So in any way that you've expressed your love and condolences to them over these past days and weeks on behalf of them, though they will say it themselves, I want to thank you also and know how appreciated that is. And so it is our privilege to be able to worship the Lord today. Certainly we want to honor David's memory and much will be said about him in the coming moments. But let's remember that we are here to worship the Lord. So in your worship bulletin, you will find a call to worship, and it is a responsive reading taken from Psalm 121. And so if you'll take that sheet and let us read responsively the word of God as we come together to worship God. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Indeed. And as we remember the beloved Psalm, Psalm 23, hear again the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's all take our sheets and sing together. Stand, if you would like, as we sing, How Great Thou Art.
join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, from whom all blessings flow, we give you praise and we offer you our thanks for the gift of life and of life everlasting. We are grateful, O Lord, that we are able to gather in this place today, though a loss has been endured, that we may nevertheless rejoice in a life that continues. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the gift that is ours by faith in him, and that as we speak of David Bowers today, that we are able to be assured from your word that precious in your sight is the death of your saints. And so, our Father, bless and comfort and provide for all who are here, that together we may look by faith unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and giving thanks for a life well lived and a life that will continue to be a blessing as we reflect upon him. And so we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. And you'll have to forgive this Presbyterian for not allowing the debts to enough time to say trespasses. Please extend grace, and I certainly extend grace to you. As we continue in the service together, we now have a time of scripture reading that will be undertaken by family, grandchildren, in fact, and so I believe you all know the order you're supposed to come up, so just come and read for us the word of God. Hi, we are Dave's grandchildren. I am reading from Scripture, 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I am reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build. In time to weep, and in time to laugh. In time to mourn, and in time to dance. I am reading from John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house as many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I am reading from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 26 and 31 through 33. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion, so great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. And I'm also reading from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.
And once again, let's unite our hearts together in song as we sing on eagle's wings. And again, stand if you would like. You may be seated. And as we continue, there are some family members and loved ones who will be expressing eulogies. And so I'd like to ask those of you who are going to do that to please come up at this time. And you can come one at a time. Ahead, sir. So if you look at me and surmise and deduce that I came from the same gene pool as Dave, you would be on the right track. It's tough growing up as the younger sibling of a living legend. And I don't exaggerate when I use that term. 
with regard to Dave. I would be walking along the street and encounter somebody and I would introduce myself and the response was, ooh, you're Dave Bowers' brother. <laughs> or are you related to Dave Bowers? So the reason for this notoriety or adulation was Dave was very skilled and proficient as a football player. He played football for the high school team and received national recognition for his skills. Um, and as a result of that, he was admired, greatly admired by the uh, people in this small town. My, the highlight of my role as a younger brother of a superior athlete came when our family used to go down to Ann Arbor to watch Dave play football. He played for the University of Michigan Wolverines. And I wasn't so much interested in what was going on in the field during the game. I was more interested in what happened after the game. As the game uh, came to an end, I would go down the stairs of the stadium, jump over the fence illegally, and mingle with the team on the sideline. And of course, I was looking for Dave, and I knew his number. <laughs> you couldn't recognize anybody's face, but I knew his number, so I could find him. And the first thing he did was give me his helmet after the game was over. This, to me, this helmet was a symbol of courage and strength. And it was a big privilege to be able to hold this thing in my hands. Then we would walk across the torn-up field to the other side of the stadium where there was a tunnel. Now, little boys are fascinated by tunnels. Right, Will? Okay. All right. My grandnephew confirms that. The reason they're fascinated by tunnels is because of the mystery of what's on the other end of the tunnel. Because you don't know what's out there, what's on the other end of the tunnel. What was other, at the other end of this tunnel was something called a locker room. And Dave would take me into the locker room. And in this steamy environment of this locker room, I was surrounded by huge muscle-bound uh, half-naked male bodies. <laughs> and I was transfixed. Um, it was as if I was on Mount Olympus and I was surrounded by um, God-like figures who I would later in my life learn to be able to name, like Zeus, Apollo, Prometheus, and of course the most glorious God figure of all was the one that I was acquainted with, my brother. Dave was a banker. He was good at that, and he was rewarded with financial success. But what has to be remembered is that um, that financial success was the result of providing services to people who needed those services. And this fact was brought home to me when on March 8th of this year, 
Now that date should mean something to you because that's the date that Dave died. On March 8th of this year, Linda and I were involved in a three-hour meeting with our local banker because our accounts were a mess. They were in the wrong names, they, they had the wrong balances, and we had just completed what's called a revocable living trust. And the revocable living trust only applies to things that are in the name of the revocable living trust. So we had to rename all of our accounts. The, the banker that we worked with was masterful in guiding us through the intricacies and the challenges of account management. And as I was sitting there watching this guy do his work, I th thought to myself, these are the same skills and knowledge that Dave used during his life, during his career as a banker, either indirectly or directly or indirectly. And I walked out of the building thinking, I want to call Dave up, and I want to share with him this experience. Little did I know that events of that day had either transpired or were in the process of being transpiring to prevent that conversation from ever taking place. There are a number of things that happened in the, in the last months of Dave's life that I think may have eased his transition from this life to whatever awaits us after this life. First of all, his beloved Wolverines, after years of futility, finally beat Ohio State. <laughs> then he saw that same team win the Big Ten championship. That must have been pretty neat for Dave to be able to see. And then the team played um, in the semifinals of the National Football Championship, college championship, against Georgia. Dave played against Georgia when he was a player for the Wolverines, and they won when they played them in 1956 or 57, I'm not sure. Um, and then the final thing was that I think Dave, it's a possibility that Dave may have known or may have had an inkling that his little brother was finally getting his life in order by going to talk to and get help from his local banker. First, I think I should uh, promise Lisa and Julie that uh, Matt made me swear not to tell too many stories about our fishing trips. I first met uh, Dave in 1974 when he was uh, with the First Bank and Trust in South Bend, Indiana. He was my customer. I was his IBM salesman. Little did I know when I met him then that it would be the beginning of a 48-year wonderful relationship with this bald-headed gentleman who occasionally smoked cigars in his office. Two years later, Dave hired me at the bank to head up the data processing area. 
He was an absolutely wonderful boss, a great boss. Always supportive, never interfering. Dave was a mentor to many, many colleagues during his business career. He was respected and well-liked by everyone at the bank and in the community. He was always straightforward, friendly, and considerate. I should add also that he was the best-dressed man in town. Dave left First Source Bank to become CEO of General Microcomputer in South Bend. He took a chance on rescuing an ailing company, only to find out that their audited inventory was worthless and they went bankrupt. It was a tough break for Dave and his family at that time, but he is a tough guy and made a new life for his family. Dave and Sue left South Bend and their beloved friends and moved to Ohio, where Dave was CFO of Park National Bank. When he retired from his successful career in Ohio, he and Sue moved back to the South Bend area at Diamond Lake. After retirement, Dave and Sue spent their winters in Bonita Bay. Dave's name is on a bronze plaque in the clubhouse to commemorate his serving on the turnover committee that negotiated the purchase of the club from a bankrupt developer. Dave was a tough competitor and loved to have a good time. One fishing story. <laughs> we enjoyed many years fishing in Canada with our sons. He and Matt took special pleasure in out fishing the Joneses almost every year. If they didn't catch the biggest fish, they caught the most. Unfortunately, Dave always lost during the heart game. After Sue died, he took up bridge and played in the men-only bridge group in Michigan and Florida. He also loved playing golf, pickleball, paddleball, and working out almost every day at the Benita Bay Club or at the Health Club in South Bend. Dave was a Michigan man through and through. Go maize, go blue. He was a quiet leader, a wonderful husband, father, grandfather, and friend. Lisa, Julie, Matt, and Judy, and all of his friends and family will miss him terribly. Hi, I'm Fred Slayman, uh, an old friend of Dave's. Uh, I like to think I was his best friend because he was my best friend. So I want to tell you just a few things about Dave. Uh, I'm not going to get into the business side, which Duke handled beautifully, because I wasn't involved in his business side. Uh, we first met in 1971 when I was transferred by Price Waterhouse to South Bend from Chicago. And I wound up in an office next door to Dave, so met him first, and we started to talk. And I learned a lot about him, and I learned an awful lot more as the years went by. Uh, we bonded very quickly, what was the Price Waterhouse connection, and the Notre Dame-Michigan football connection, which I think Notre Dame probably bested Michigan. <laughs> I can say that now. Uh, and in years, recent years, we bonded when I drove him to the airport and back uh, when he was 
struggling to get to the airport and get home. Uh, the other thing we've done forever is uh, had dinner with Dave and Sue, and more recently with Dave and Judy. Uh, and Judy was a big, big help to Dave emotionally, uh, as well as cooking, taking care of him. Uh, Dave was known by everybody in South Bend, uh, really for his great family. Uh, Sue, who was busy with a lot of things in South Bend, and the three kids, uh, Lisa, Julie, and Matt. Uh, he was known as a gentleman. Almost everybody would say Dave was really a gentleman, no matter where he was, where he went. Uh, he was always a competitor. As John pointed out, he was busy with football. And there's no more competitive things than that. Uh, and Dave was, was good at that. Uh, he was great at staying in touch with old school friends and teammates. Uh, I met a lot of people that he knew when he was in high school and later college people because he kept in touch with them, and that's the way he was. Dave had a lot of personal pride, uh, especially in the later years, struggling with uh, lingering football injuries and a failing heart. He stubbornly refused to take help. You could not help him. You could not say, can I get the door? Can I do? No, 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 thing. I don't need any help. Stubbornly, and that's the worst word you could put on Dave, but that's how he behaved. Uh, together, Dave and I did sports. I wasn't involved in business with him. I was involved in sports. We played golf, tennis, platform tennis. We went on ski trips. We fished. We went to a lot of ball games. Sandy and I often vacationed with Dave, Sue, and the girls, and the boy at the end, although I don't think the boy was <laughs> very old at that point. Uh, Dave and I even had open heart surgery in the same, within five years, uh, which we both fought to survive. In, in 2000, together with the Bowers, we rented a house in Immokalee. We'd really never been here before except to once or twice to see the tenants. So we rented a house for a month. Dave and Sue were going to buy something. They wanted to buy a place here. Of course, he was much older, so they needed something. Somewhere. <laughs> so for the first half of the month, I didn't go with them. They went looking at houses. I had no interest in that. I didn't want to buy a house. I wanted nothing to do with down here. By the end of the month, Dave and Sue had not bought a house, but Sandy and I did. <laughs> so you know who took charge there. Uh, we bought a place in West Bay Club. It's 15 minutes up the road. The next year, Dave and Sue rented. West Bay Club. They were going to, they had the same goal, buy a house. Well, they went, as I recall, right to the end of the last week, and they bought a place in Bonita Bay. We both have been down here for a lot of time in the last 20 years, and both enjoyed it, uh, particularly with all those sports. Dave and I did accomplish something together. In 1972, we helped our wives, supported our wives, founding what was called the Sliced Tomato Club. It was a dinner club with six other couples, a few of which are here today. And we started that in 72. It still exists. Uh, we still have quite a few of the six couples that uh, still do that, and we have dinner. Even in the summer, when we go back to South Bend, we have a Sliced Tomato Club dinner. We did not cook. <laughs> 
that was what Sue and Sandy did. Dave and I gave them all the support they needed, except cooking. With all I've said, I'll really miss the thought of having Dave's company available, <clears throat> excuse me, all the, all the time. I'll say a prayer or two for him, but Dave will no doubt stubbornly continue to insist he doesn't need any help. But I'm still going to say the prayers. Have I bombed through my five minutes? Because I would like to tell one story just to kind of lighten this up a little bit. Dave gave me a lot of guidance on different things, all kinds of different things, what you should do now, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, that kind of thing. One day we were playing golf. We played golf every Thursday afternoon, probably for 20 years. We'd start, we would back up from darkness to the starting time so we could finish 18 holes every Thursday afternoon. But one day we were out there and we walked too, we walked to do that. And uh, Dave started telling me a story. Uh, he, he told me that Julie and Lisa had wanted to have a party at their house. Dave and Sue resisted it, but finally they gave in and actually gave them permission to have a party in the basement. Well, pretty soon the party got out of hand. There were more kids down there than there was space. The noise was deafening. Dave went down. He said to the kids, the party's over. Get out of here. Get out of here, all of you, and take your beer with you. Well, the next day at cocktail hour, Dave went downstairs to get a beer. No beer. Those kids took their beer, and they took his beer. Well, quite a few years later, when my girls got to that age, one Saturday morning, Sandy and I were getting ready to go to the Notre Dame game, and it was raining, so we were looking for our poncho. Looking all over, we couldn't find him. I said, you know what? I think I saw him in the well of the wagon. I'm gonna, I'll go out and look. Well, I, went out, I opened up the well of the wagon. There were the ponchos, but also was beer. Beer? What the heck? Who would put beer in it? I went in the house. I said, girls, what about the beer in the car? It wasn't mine, Kara said. Kelly said, don't lie, Kara. Well, the next day, a young man that they were in school with called me and said, Mr. Slayman, I want you to know that's not my beer in your car. And I said, Mike, you're right. It's my beer. <laughs> Dave taught me not to leave the beer with the kids when they're at a party. Bring your own beer home. Thank you. So uh, I'm uh, Matt Bowers, I'm Dave's son. I get to uh, represent the family and I did something similar when uh, my mom passed away in 2015. Um, first off, I do wanna say some thank yous. So one, I just appreciate everybody that was able to come. Um, we have an amazing group, right? We have people from uh, North Shore, Chicago, Michigan, South Bend area. Um, we have Ohio, I have Lowers from uh, my old basketball coach um, here as well. Um, we have uh, Park City, Utah represented. I think that wins for maybe the farthest west, although my cousin Amy still has a house in California, so maybe we'll you know, let you, you know, count that. So, but um, truly appreciate the support. Uh, I heard from so many people. Uh, I heard from probably close to 100 in the last three, four days, uh, just texts and different things. 
Um, I had a phone call last Sunday with uh, the old chairman of Park National Bank and a text from the CEO of Park National Bank yesterday. Um, they couldn't be here, and uh, you know the CEO told me uh, that you know he wasn't feeling well, thought maybe he had gotten sick, and that he was just going to cancel the jet. So he wasn't going to fly down here specifically for this memorial, but they did come down for my mom's memorial, which I thought was pretty special. Um, I'd like to certainly thank uh, you know Bay Presbyterian Church. Uh, this became uh, you know a place Dave began to come to. Um, you know after my mom passed away, I think he was probably sick and tired of 50 years of being forced to go to Catholic Mass over and over and over again. So this was a great opportunity to get back to his Presbyterian roots. But um, with that, and then a huge thank you to my sisters. Um, they've been amazing, as has my wife, Emily, and uh, my uh, brother-in-law, John. Um, it's tough, right, to lose a dad. So um, I just appreciate all the support from them as well. So with that, I will do my best to kind of be quick, but not too quick, because uh, there's a lot to say, I think. But um, regardless, I'm uh, excited to have the opportunity. So I struggled mightily with what to say and how to kind of bring up different things when you start to talk about your dad. Um, way back when, when my grandpa died, my dad pulled me aside, and man, I was pretty young, and he said, you know, what should I say about Cleet? And I had one story, and I think it was after I had been cut from, like, ninth grade basketball, my grandpa was talking to me, and I was kind of upset, and, you know, in kind of Cleet's way, he just looked at me and said, if you want to be a basketball player, be a basketball player. And so sure enough, you know, I took that to heart. I told my dad he used it in that ceremony at the, for his funeral, and uh, although not very good, I did end up being a basketball player. So, you know, there's something about that advice that kind of worked. But I asked a ton of people what they thought of my dad, what they thought of Dave, you know, and so all of that I'll try to get through and then say some words for myself as well. But to start with, I thought it would be interesting um, to kind of start with some of Dave's words. So in 2013, um, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that kind of recommended that seniors uh, write down kind of values and ethics that they thought were important to them and uh, deliver it to their children. They called it an ethical will. Um, this was something that I think was quite difficult for my dad to actually do. He uh, is you know, stubbornly quiet and, you know, willing to kind of talk about himself at times. But um, regardless of that, uh, he, uh, he delivered this and, um, you know, just uh, kind of going through it, I thought it sparked some interesting things that probably will remind you a little bit of how Dave thought about the world. Um, it, it started uh, basically with exactly how I, you know, just said it, that it was hard, that he had this, this you know, disdain for arrogance and that he did not like talking about himself. So writing this thing, five or six pages, was tough. But the first question was, what values would you want to pass down? And so in order, uh, these are some of the things that Dave called out immediately of like, if you were talking to your children, what values would you like to pass down? The first was build a great resume. Yeah, that was number one on the list <laughs> of like the cool stuff that you know, you're digging into your heart to get from. Build a strong resume. Attend great schools. Keep traditions and family rituals at all costs. Finally, come on, right? You know, a little bit of a family element here. Be a teacher and be a mentor whenever you can. Exercise a lot. And for those of you that know, knew him, he was going to that gym up until his last day. And how he was getting around in that gym, and, you know, personally, I think they probably just might have had some 
cute people working there that he was excited to see, but he would get on the rower and do some weights every single day of his life, close to his life. Um, have a strong, self-deprecating sense of humor. Practice your sense of humor. And care and treat people well despite your differences. So all of those things, I think, really kind of summed up Dave well. Now, the funny thing is that when he gave us this letter in 2013, I didn't read it, and I actually never read it until a week ago. And I have no idea why. I think I was just, one, probably not ready to kind of think through that type of thing, but at the same time, lazy and didn't really. But Julie and Lisa, I think, read it sooner than I did. Emily, my wife, even had a chance to read it. But the thing I thought was important is that you know a lot of these values, even without reading it and thinking about it, I think you know, my family and I really have always kind of held on to and um, got from them without him having to write them down. I spoke to both my sisters about what should I say about dad. Um, one, he was always there to help. He was always there to give advice. He was always there to give a dollar if you needed help. Um, and he was often there at like the darkest times, and kind of when you didn't expect it. He would always ask that one question that I hadn't thought about with, with a problem or an issue. <laughs> and to be honest, like, it kind of makes you wonder, like, how am I not smart enough to think about that one important thing that he asked me about, but it happened more times than once. Dave had a, this is a nice way of saying it, but Dave was thrifty. And he was proud of being thrifty. One, one day my sister was up at the lake and was cleaning out stuff, which was a constant battle, right? And she found a hose that probably hadn't been used in 20 years. One of those ones that you uncoil and you can just hear it breaking and you know, destroy it. So Lisa's move, of course, was to take to the garbage. You know, let's go buy a new hose. And Dave, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we can fix it. We can fix this thing. So he wanted to go to the hardware store, spend $5 on duct tape or whatever to try to fix this hose versus buying another one. But that was how he thought about things, and I appreciated that always. Um, he was also an amazing caregiver um, for my mom, which uh, we'll, just, we'll never forget. I talked to the grandkids. Um, my nephew, David, the first thing that came into his mind when we talked about Dave was uh, scotch. He drank a lot of scotch. <laughs> and if anybody has spent some time with Dave, that was true. And it is. It is an amazing skill that I could never develop myself. But, uh, you know, he always seemed to keep it together in most cases. But, you know, I always thought that was uh, funny. But in reality, I think David also mentioned just, you know, Dave was very proud of Dave. Um, Katie, my niece, um, Dave was so proud of you for going to Michigan State and for your, you know, just thoughtfulness and, and just who you were. Um, Dave loved to ask Katie questions, probably because Katie would answer. You know, I'd, if he asked me questions, I wouldn't usually answer, but um, always there with a question, always there trying to learn more about Katie. Um, my two kids, uh, they remember Dave, every time they would visit, would put out a little bowl of goldfish and a little jade bowl that he uh, always kept. Um, Inevitably, Dave would eat 95% of the goldfish before anybody else had a chance to like have some, but that was a very, you know, the thing they remember. Um, you know, he made blueberry pancakes. Um, you 
know, maybe 25% cooked, but they were blueberry pancakes nonetheless. He put two eggs in. That was his secret. So they were almost more of, a, of an egg than a pancake. Who knew, right? Um, and that just that he was funny, and he was always pumped to see them. My wife and my wife's family uh, remember Dave as just gentle, generous, that he had an infectious chuckle and this great sparkle in his eyes that he would uh, kind of roll out whenever he was laughing or he was happy. One of the stories from someone that couldn't be here but I think sums Dave up in a lot of ways is um, that these flowers are from Mike Jackson, one of his best friends from uh, Traverse City. So Mike wrote something very nice on Dave's eulogy page, if you were able to see it, but um, long, long ago, Mike had moved to Traverse City um, as a teenager. So we're talking early 50s, 1952, 1953. Um, Mike didn't know anybody, was uh, kind of just hanging out on one of the corners and, and you know, again, had left the soda shop or something. But um, all of a sudden, this uh, car rolls up and this kind of tall, good-looking guy jumps out and says, hey, I'm Dave. You know, What's your name? Oh, I'm Mike Jackson. This was before Michael Jackson, but Mike Jackson. <laughs> um, Mike introduced himself. I'm new in town. I just moved here. Well, hey, you know, we're going to this, you know, boy, boys and girls club, and you know, let's uh, let's let's hang out. And they've been friends ever since. You know, grew up in Traverse City together, and we're able to uh, you know go to Michigan together at the same time. But the story didn't end there. So in the fall of 1953, when Mike met my dad, they then spent the next two three months together and kind of getting to know one another. Um, late in that year. Mike opens up uh, the parade uh, magazine that was popular at that time, and sure enough, on the third page was uh, Dave Bowers' uh, Parade All-American for Traverse City High School. The only All-American ever at Traverse City. Of course, Dave never mentioned that. Uh, you know, probably uh, too busy doing you know, other things, of course, but um, that humbleness was certainly a part of his life that uh, we all write. Okay, so then I got to the point of what am I going to say? And I know everybody's like, man, you're not done? But no, I'm not quite yet. <laughs> what does the sun say? So what I remember the most about my dad is, one, I mean, extremely educated. Went to Michigan, got his MBA at Michigan, got his uh, law degree, got it was a CPA, you know, all of these things, I think, uh, you know, continuing his education was important to him. Extremely hardworking. So every Saturday that I can remember growing up, he worked. And uh, about two-thirds of those Saturdays, I would go with him to the office one way or another. Um, you, know, you know, I remember him actually on the phone doing business, all these different things. You know, he was excited because on Saturday he didn't have to wear a tie. Um, but all those things I you know, remember. And, and one of the things I remember the most that certainly stuck with me was when he was CEO of General Micro in South Bend, he would take me to, this, uh, to their office and um, you know, he'd kind of put me in his you know, core office and he'd go outside and he'd mow the lawn of the office building because somebody had to do it. Um, Dave had a uh, approach of whatever it takes um, just wasn't somebody that kind of gave up on things, sometimes like to a detriment and it would drive me crazy, but he was stubborn. And he would just work hard and continue to try to uh, you know, you know, deliver whatever was needed to family, to friends, and 
you know, if that meant the extra mile, you certainly was one to do it. Um, he told me once, um, as I was reflecting and kind of thinking about grad school and my life, he said, you know, I've, you know, I've never been the smartest person, but he said, I know that I work harder than most. And you know, that's an incredible trait. My personal opinion is he was smarter than most, but you know, at the same time, you know, I appreciated that that was how he approached life. And then the other piece I think is, you know, for him, you know, a pride, you know, element of pride is uh, he never missed a day of work in 45 years. And that was something that he uh, would always remember and, you know, as somebody that likes to call off, if like, uh, you know, my hair doesn't look right, I would say uh, that's a pretty impressive statement. Dave was stoic. And that's not necessarily an unfeeling type of stoic, but he was thoughtful and he approached things in a fashion of what can I control, what can I control. Um, Dave was someone that would listen well, but often was a man of very few words. And this created uh, what I used to call like the classic awkward pause uh, moment. And if you've had any kind of conversation with Dave, you've been in one of these awkward pauses where uh, you just kind of don't know what to do. Uh, the majority of the time, you know, the people would panic and just fill in the blank and just go. My wife, like, would end up just talking and talking to fill in this blank of an awkward pause. Um, where I always remember that the most, awkward pause or not, was uh, there's just this comfortable silence between a father and a son that I remember the most just during our fishing trips. And uh, if you spend 12 hours on a boat with Dave Bowers, it's going to be kind of silenced a lot of the time. But <laughs> you, you get my drift that uh, you know, there was some fun, kind of exciting parts to that, right? But with that, I will say that if you could ever get Dave going and really get into a deep conversation with him, you know, that was powerful and it was really well worthwhile. A little bit for Dave, the reason I think he was so quiet was... He truly didn't believe that people really were that interested in his story. He didn't want to bore people with his story. And anyone that knows his story, that's just pretty crazy to think that. But that's part of who he was. And again, just extremely humble. The most humble I've ever seen him or probably still think about him is tied specifically to just his exploits in football and at the University of Michigan. I would say few people out there love Michigan more than me and uh, would really probably love to uh, you know, have been part of and know a lot more about uh, you know, the University of Michigan. But uh, I remember we were at a game, and I was in my teens. Dave uh, kind of got up, I assumed to go to the bathroom. He's gone, kind of missing the beginning of the game. What the hell? Uh, they had honored, they were honoring uh, the uh, 1957 team on the field. And he just kind of went down there and was down there and was like, <laughs> And he comes back, and he comes back, and, and I'm like, uh, were you just on the field? You know, and the team ran through, you know, the tunnel that they created. With the, oh, yeah, I was on the field. Um, they said that you couldn't have your family down there. And I said, I just saw 7,000 kids <laughs> down there. Why wouldn't you think I would want to go as a, uh, you know, as, as a, young, a, young, a young man that loves Michigan? But that was how he thought about things. The only other truly kind of pushed <laughs> football story that I got out of him, I think also describes Dave per per you know, perfectly. This is probably after some of these famous scotches that we've talked about. But uh, Dave was kind of a young player in 1956, um, maybe a 
sophomore, junior. Um, but he, um, they're playing Ohio State at Ohio State, and David's playing special teams. And, um, you know, kind of coming back as they were returning a, uh, a punt, because he played, you know, punt return team, he uh, kind of saw out of the side of his eyes an Ohio State player named uh, Jim Parker. Now, if anybody remembers 1950s football, Jim Parker was a four-time All-American. Uh, he was the fourth pick by the Baltimore Colts. He's in the Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he was about 6'2", 250. Um, at that time, a very, very big player. So Dave kind of has this opportunity that Jim's not looking and uh, comes around the bend and just cleans him out. <laughs> Knocks Jim Parker's helmet off. Jim Parker stands up, and Dave, like, scared. And he <laughs> says something, but it's along the lines of, if I see you again, kid, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> and when Jim Parker said something like that, you believed it. Google him. He looks scary just in the Wikipedia drawing of him. <laughs> but Dave, he'll always relish that, and he said, you know what I know the best part about the whole thing? He's like, you know, I knew Jim Parker was looking for me, but I didn't play another down that entire game. <laughs> So I got him and I was out, you know, so, but very rare, but for him, you know, being able to talk that I didn't really, I wasn't playing, I wasn't part, you know, that, that was something that I think was just part of that humble nature of him as well. David's super helpful. Uh, he would do just about anything to deliver uh, on a promise. Uh, he loved, you know, helping friends, you know, even without being asked. Uh, I remember that more than once. Um, I think all of these things roll into just an amazing person. And I say that, you know, from a son's perspective, as you can imagine. He was always proud of his kids, uh, and he would be quick to talk with anybody that wanted to talk about anything. He probably wore um, his Michigan shirt to the workout facility, so people would ask him about his kids that went to Michigan. Not if he went to Michigan, but if his kids went to Michigan. Uh, I found DePaul football. I found DePaul basketball, where I went to school and played sports. Um, all these different T-shirts that I'd given him over the years, he still had them um, and still warm, from what I can tell. That might also be part of the thrifty part, if uh, you ask me. <laughs> and he was always the one I would go to with good or bad news. The last piece of kind of how I think about my dad was he just left an amazing legacy. And... Uh, I can tell you just from personal kind of reflections that like my push and my drive kind of chasing that legacy has been one of my greatest gifts. Um, it was never pressure. It was never intense. But, you know, trying to keep up with a guy like Dave on the athletic court or on the field, it's hard. Trying to keep up with somebody like that that's, you know, so professionally successful, it's hard. But... I think myself, my sisters, our family, we do our best, and we push to try to live up to that kind of unspoken legacy. Lastly, um, and Fred said it, um, he was my best friend. He was my hero. And I'll really just... Thank you. Oh, wait, hold up. The way for me to stop crying is to remember that I didn't say something else. So there's a reception after this. <laughs> <laughs>
It's over at the Bay Bonita Bay Club, and I promised my sisters I would say that, and I forgot. <laughs> so, any case, thank you to everybody for being here. Um, Dave loved you and loved us in a lot of special ways. Thank you. Your program says homily. I just want you to know that that's a theological term for something brief because so many wonderful things have been said. How blessed you are to have had such a wonderful man in your lives. And I stand here today not to be able to talk about Dave Bowers. I know about him, but I have been here so little time that I did not get to know him. But I'm looking forward to the time when we will get to know each other because of the promise that we have from Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 16, a verse which many have called the most beloved in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just to remind you of something that you already know, all of our hope rests in Jesus Christ. As Dave had come to the place in his life where he had trusted in Jesus and had professed faith in him, that evidence of grace was borne out and all of the wonderful things that you've heard talked about. After all, the Bible makes clear we don't get there by our good works. It is by grace alone. And so today is a time of reflecting upon what the Lord Jesus has done. Jesus has been called many things through the course of history, and especially in more recent history. He is talked about as a good philosopher and a good teacher, a founder of a religion. And there are so many things that we could speak of on a humanistic level. But the one thing we need to know about the Lord Jesus is he is the one man above all who not only went to the cross and died there, and went to the grave. He rose from there. He did that which is unequaled, unprecedented in all of history. And so the one who promises us everlasting life is the one who has paid the penalty for our sins and has been raised victoriously so that his victory is our victory. So that this life doesn't have to be all that there is. That by virtue of faith in him, we may know what everlasting life and so today, it's my job and my joy to stand here today and point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, that your testimony, like Dave's and so many others, may be that by trusting in this beloved Son of the one true and living God, you also may endure forever. And what will it be like in eternity? Well, we've got more questions than we do answers, but we'll have all eternity to see and to learn, and to know. And so my hope today is your trust is in him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you praise and we thank you for our Savior, who has done everything necessary to achieve for us the rescue so that we may have that everlasting life that we speak of and that we sing about. In fact, we're going to sing about it in just a moment. Father, we're grateful to you for this precious gift of yourself to us so that we may approach the end of life with confidence, knowing that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it even unto the day of Christ Jesus. So, Lord, bless this family and all the loved ones gathered here with peace and comfort that can come only from you. Thank you that these fine words have been spoken 
that a life can be remembered and that there will be laughter and joy in the days ahead, even as there surely will be tears. But Lord, bless that we will not grieve as the rest of the world that has no hope. But may we be reminded by your own precious word that he who believes in Jesus has everlasting life. And for that we are grateful and we ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amazing Grace, take your program once again, and if you would like to stand, let's do and sing this beloved old hymn. I know I've already read it, but let's read in unison God's word, the 23rd Psalm. Let's all say it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.